Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita and we are joined by Peter Segel. Hello, I don't have anything clever. I have something interesting. Oh. That Apple, I just found this out this weekend, keeps a database of everything anybody ever says to Siri. Whoa. I know. Isn't that like, whoa, we should just devote the hour to talking about that. Oh, my god! And I was told 8 to 10% of the words that Siri hears are profanities. <laughs> oh, that makes me really happy. I know. For I mean, a lot of we're, we're not alone. <laughs> You're not the only person who has shouted vicious obscenities at Siri in the privacy of your car. I actually turned off Siri. She does not exist on my phone. Really? She's not allowed to live on my really? phone. Really? Whoa. Did she yeah. do the thing like, like Hal does in 2001 going, Greta, my mind is going. Yeah, Greta. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Greta. Battery life, man. We don't have time for that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, today we are rehashing season five, episode six of Game of Thrones. This is your spoiler alert. <laughs> I know that I was trying to do like a klaxon, uh-huh. like the spoiler that alert sound, and that was very terrible. sad. Terrible. I liked a terrible it a lot. Little I liked it. I liked it was pretty it. muppety. <laughs> the sad little klaxon. It was very muppety. Yeah, I liked sorry. it. <laughs> The episode was called Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken, and later on in the show, we're also going to share some of your voicemails and try to answer some of your questions. We would also love if you checked out our latest episode of Nerd at Proper. We talked to Mike Pesca. He is the host of Slate's The Gist podcast. He also used to be a sports reporter on NPR. He is a pretty legitimate sports nerd, but he also is a nerd about something else that might kind of surprise you. I once saw Joe Namath perform in a production of Damn Yankees (laughs) at the Jones Beach Theater. Question. (laughs) Sports nerdery, which we used to call sports fandom, was something really distinct from, shall I say, our kind of nerdery. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fact, you could, it was like a jock brain, jock nerd kind of. Continuum of No, well, no. I mean, I'm saying it used to be a division. (laughs) One or the other. People who were into sports were not nerds. Right. People People who were nerds were not into sports. So are we saying that that has been healed, that now it's just all on one nerd continuum. We are, we are saying that Mike Pesca is the bridge. Yes. <laughs> he is. The jocks and the brains. He, 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 he comes and he heals. Yeah, right? he, he has like, spanned the continents. He is the like the sea. Jesus of nerds. <laughs> exactly. He has come to throw down the old law and exactly. make a new one. Yeah, but I mean, there was always like the stats nerdery, you know, yeah. like I think there are some aspects of being a sports fan that are oh, absolutely. still that fit that typical definition. Yes. Of there's a guy at Wrigley Field watching the Cubs who's just there to drink beer and kind of shout at people. And there's a guy who's keeping track of every pitch. Right. So that they can do an analysis. What, what we're saying is the guys who obsessively play, say, fantasy baseball. Nerds. Are no different than yeah, the guys nerds. who obsessively play, yeah. play Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. Yep. You're not a magician and you're not a general manager. Get over it, guys. <laughs> that's, I'm just saying that's interesting. Again, yeah. no, it is interesting. On the history of nerdery. No, it is interesting. <laughs> we like when you reflect on the history of nerdery. Your people have suffered. I am the Shelby Foot. <laughs> it of got nerdery. better. <laughs> I've just decided. Okay, but Game of Thrones, guys. Right. Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Did we see any racks and bots? No, I did None, not think right? so. No, we saw some pretty rough stuff. I was about to say, thank God we didn't see racks and bots because yeah. it would have yeah. been uh, would have been upsetting. Yes, yeah, in the context. So. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, yeah. so we'll get to that last scene eventually, but should we start from the beginning and kind of move from there? Why so not? What you guys are thinking? Sure. So we'll begin in Bravos with Arya still scrubbing floors and sweeping things and wiping down corpses. Yeah, and where do they do with the corpses? Who was thinking Soylent Green? <laughs> 
I was thinking Soylent Green. I referenced it before, but that's definitely. It's what we were thinking. What was through that other door that she hasn't been allowed to go through? Yeah, I liked, uh, again, I I thought, I didn't comment because I was by myself. But I thought. (laughs) We know you're talking to the dog. Commented to my dog? The dog sadly left. The dog was tired of Games of Thrones. You can have my cat, Peter. That would make things worse. You could talk to him. Let's move on. Um, yeah, the cat. The cat would just mock me. What is he wrong would. with you? Get a life. The yeah, cat would say, and then would. go out and date girls. Anyway, the um, <laughs> so back to the thing. Time again. There's an interesting parallel to the books, even though we've departed from the books as we've said too many times. In that the books four and five divided almost laterally the characters. Book four was all about Cersei doings in Dorne and other things. George R. R. Martin saved Jon Snow and Daenerys to book six, which drove people a little crazy. But in these last two episodes, it seems they've done the the same thing. Last episode was mostly The Wall, some other stories. This episode, we're going back to Cersei finally. We didn't see her last episode. Um, Yeah, we didn't see Daenerys at all this episode. Yeah, I know. And that's interesting because, again, it gives us more time. And there were a lot of really lovely scenes in this episode, which I think is a function of them giving themselves more time. The whole sequence with Arya not leaving that, doing it, her encounter with that girl who told that story. And by the way, one of my really favorite things in the world is unreliable narrators. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that she told that story and then she said, was that true? Was just any like, of that true? Yeah, just like I loved um, in, here's some more nerdery, in the movie The Dark Knight, when Heath Ledger's Joker keeps telling his own origin story and it's different every time. Yeah. And you realize that none of them may be true. None of them may be necessary. And I think that was pretty cool. Well, and speaking of the passage of time, too, I thought it was... I thought it was really interesting. Like, it, I found it really remarkable. Arya looked a lot older to me than she has in a while for some reason. Uh, partially, I think that is because Macy Williams is older than she. There was that. Yeah. There was that flashback in the uh, you know previously in Game of Thrones, and they had to go back to the first season to establish who Bear Mormont was. And there's Peter Dinklage, five years younger, and you're like, whoa, he's been through a lot. We've all been through a lot. <laughs> so Maisie Williams is older. She's uh, she's gone from like nine to 14, right? Yeah. In yeah. the course of filming. The th- so she's an older, she's a young woman now. Yeah. But also her demeanor. One more thing about that scene was that was a scene that was written by actors and it was written by writers, obviously, acted by actors. In a great way, it's about writing and acting. It's about selling a scene. It's about hmm. how do I get this sick young girl to drink this poison? And I think that there's kind of this joy in, in the mechanics of all that because it's the faceless man of our theater company in a weird way. Except... It was hard to watch, though. It was hard to watch her get whipped. Oh, yeah. And even when – but the moment – it was worth it in the narrative to me when she said, and I hated the hound and he whips her. And I hated the hound and yeah, he whips her again. And, he, and the girl lies to me, the girl lies to the many-faced god, and the girl lies to herself. Yes. Was a really powerful moment that yeah. made it almost worth the sort of brutality of the scene. He begged me to kill him, but I wouldn't. I left him in the mountains to die. I wanted him to suffer. I hated him. I hated him. That's not a lie. A girl lies. To me, to the many-faced God, to herself. Does she truly want to be no one? Yes. I'm not playing this stupid game anymore. We never stop playing. Because the Stark girls had a rough week. Yeah. But that, I think, was really interesting. And she finally got it at that point, too. She got that this isn't about just lying to other people. You're also having to sort of 
fake your entire existence at a, at a deeper level. There's also something odd about that scene. Have you ever seen anything on like major network television that was shot in the dark like that? It was like mm. they saved all the money. There were no lights. <laughs> I've never seen, I mean, the father of the girl, the sick girl, you never saw his face. And I was like, is that Jack and Hagar? Is that somebody? Mm. It was just, he was just this silhouette. And the darkness in that whole sequence was kind of creepy because you're not used to seeing that. I was actually watching the episode on my phone because oh, no. that's just how the day went yesterday. And so I kept adjusting, going back to settings and trying to brighten my yeah. screen. I yeah, was like, I did, there I has to be more light in this scene. There has to be. There but were, you're right. There were so a couple dark. of moments in the show where they had to show something brutal happening to people you really like. And one of them was poor Arya being whipped. And they handled that by making it so dark you really couldn't see it. It was all sound. Hmm. Yeah, it was all sound. That's true. We will return to the things they don't let you see and instead uh... use sound later Ugh. in this episode. I got to say, you guys, I did the thing again where I watched the episode this morning. Yeah. And this was not a good start to the day. No. no it was pretty not. bleak. It was, a yeah. It occurred to me that if you think, as we have talked again many times about how the episodes don't work as episodes, but the whole season works as a story, mm-hmm. this was the dark pit from which we now must rise right. in the story arc. Yes. Because everything is falling apart. Our heroes are in trouble. All kinds of trouble. Things are chaotic. Uh, there is no sense of hope at this point for almost anyone. Uh, so this is the hole that the plot has dug us, and hopefully the next few episodes will be, we can only hope. Yeah, I think, I think there out of is that. reason for optimism. Yeah. I mean, we've only got four episodes left. Yeah. It's got to get better. Yeah. <laughs> at least for somebody. As yeah. long as Ramsey Bolton dies by the end yeah. of season five, I will be happy. You know what's interesting, <laughs> though, is I was reading, uh, you, you, I mentioned this last week, I've been rereading the first book. and. <laughs> I know. And it's fun to kind of everything we now know. I mean, having read the further books and life now years of obsession and TV watching (laughs) just to see what George R. R. Martin was up to. And one of the things he does specifically with Ned Stark in the first book, which, as we all know, is more or less the same as the first season, is he keeps doing this thing to him where everything goes wrong. This goes wrong. That goes wrong. That goes wrong. And when you think about it, you're like, well, that's terrible. He just takes a character and he beats the hell out of the character and he humiliates him, takes away everything from him and then cuts his head off. But in the moment reading the chapters, you're like, well, this bad thing happened to Ned Stark. So clearly next he, time. Next time. <laughs> and what he's doing is he's playing on your expectation as a reader at yeah. that point eventually a viewer, that, oh, my God, this terrible thing has happened to this person that I admire. Therefore, the next part of the story will be about him recovering, you know, mm. coming, you know, in the in the Joseph Campbell way, coming back from the land of the dead and regaining the strength of a hero. And, of course, he don't do that. In um, this story, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger is not necessarily no, no, no. true. Yeah, Sometimes there, there, it just hurts you and there, then you get hurt some more. There and is then, no great wheel of balance. <laughs> and so it just occurred to me that here we are saying, oh, wow, terrible things are happening to these characters, many of whom we like and want good things to happen to. So we're sure that means some good things are coming, right? Or at least vengeance. No. Oh, this is Game no. of Thrones. I mean, we have to admit that if, yeah. and I don't know what happens in the next episode because we are off the charts, if terrible things continue to happen, jumping ahead to Sansa... We couldn't complain. We knew what we were getting into after four seasons of this show. That's right? funny. I'm still going to be irrationally optimistic about it, though. I feel I, I just kind of feel like there is that handful of characters where, like, yes, it's okay if really bad things happen, but they will. I mean, Sansa's a great example of that. Like, she's already been through a whole heap of horrible things. Yes. And she has gotten that much stronger for them. She's shown really great growth as a character. Should we, should we, think since we're all okay. kind of obsessed yeah. with the end of the episode, should we leap ahead or do you want to get there gradually? What do you think, Trisha? Let's just go there. <laughs> Let's just go there. All right. 
what I found most noteworthy about the rape scene after the marriage in Winterfell was that it really was hard for Theon. Because this was written by men, so who we're supposed to feel bad for in this moment is poor Theon Greyjoy. Well, that, now, I knew we would talk about this. Yeah. And I interpret it differently. You guys maybe are looking at this from the perspective of male writers and male showrunners and saying, let's focus on the poor guy who has to watch this. I can see it from the point of view as a device of seeing, you know, like you don't actually have to see it. Right. You still and, are knowing and that's what where happens. I went because I'm thinking to myself, here we have Sophie Turner, who has had a different kind of presence in the show of the actress who plays Sansa. Uh, she's never done any nudity. I don't think anybody watching it wants to see her nudity. Something terrible is about to happen to her, arguably worse than anything that has happened to this poor, poor beleaguered person before. She's about to be raped by the worst person in the world. Yep. How do we depict the horror of this without totally alienating our audience and making them never want to watch the show? Do it with sound. You hear both Ramsay doing and saying things I don't want to describe and Sansa screaming and then focus on somebody who's watching it. And once again, let's give props to Alfie Allen, who's had to do a lot of thankless things as an actor, because actors secretly want to be noble and good and strong. And he has been allowed to do none of those things for three years now. Yeah. But he sold that moment of absolute horror of of watching something which not only was horrible to him in the moment, but something that he, as we've been led to see, feels tremendously responsible for. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens next in the story, because, again, when a male character undergoes this level of trauma. So Theon getting dismembered and abused and and tortured, it forever changes him. Right. It is visible change. It is mental and physical change in his demeanor. And if in the world of the show, the next time we see Sansa, she's just sort of all buttoned up and put back together again, maybe in a scene where she's, you know, having to do that for others. But if we don't get like a, a moment of reflection scene with Sansa like we did in the bathtub where she sort of puts her head in her hands, you know, and and a little bit of a moment of her being alone and figuring out what she's going to do now and planning her next steps. They don't get to justify sort of how gruesome they're treating the character in my mind. It's sort of, you have to show the impact of these actions. You can't just skip over them. I know it's a big story and we have other places to go, but let's just not sweep uh, over to Marine and and move on. I think that even by the own lights of Game of Thrones, which, as we were talking about, completely abandons lots of traditional rules of storytelling to great effect, usually. If they don't show us how Sansa comes back from this or is changed by this or finally, finally, please, finds that steel that we've all been hoping for, as she says, finally, I am a Stark of Winterfell. Oh, really? Well, then all of this cruelty to her will, in retrospect, just be mean and I will be mad at them. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I should say, I did not really watch it alone. I was watching it with my friend, whose comment on the scene was, I did not like it when the creepy guy got rapey. So I think we can all say, <laughs> with her, we did not like it when the creepy guy got all rapey. Yeah, no. it was terrifying. It terrifying. was horrible. It was really horrible. And I can see from the point of view, too, like, I get why it would also be horrifying for Theon. And I do get it as a device. But it was also just like, oh, man, this must be really hard for Theon. You know, like it was just well, like, I think, oh. first of all, they're setting up Theon, I think, as well. I think a lot oh, yeah. of what he's doing, I think we're going to see, I hope, again, I hope that I think Theon has a redemptive moment coming because so, it will be very, very hard for him to rebel against uh, Ramsay because he's terrified to the to psychopathology, but maybe he will. So, yeah, my biggest hope, I think, now for the end of season five is that Ramsay actually is killed. Who gets to kill him? You think it's going to be Sansa? You think it's going to be Theon? So we actually had a question from 
the Tumblr about this. Somebody said they wanted to know exactly if we think it's going to be Sansa or Theon. Who kills Ramsay? Who kills Ramsay. And I think Theon tries to, and then Sansa does it. That mm, Theon tries to be the one who does it, but then something, either the psychology of it, he can't follow through or something. And then so Sansa will actually end up, you know, sort of with the killing blow, I think. That's interesting. I'm not even certain that Ramsay's going to be killed because this is a <sighs> show, despite its occasional murdering of difficult characters like Joffrey. This is not The Sopranos where we have a, a, a villain for each, each season who has to be disposed of by the end of the season. This is villainy and evil persist in Game of Thrones. So I can easily imagine Ramsay still being alive and unpleasant by the end of the season, coming back to torment everybody in season six. But you really, I mean, I just feel like something's got to give at Winterfell. Oh, that's true. You I know, just don't like, know if Ramsay's going to Well, yeah, and chaos fair. is coming to Winterfell because yes. Stannis is coming to Winterfell. So as Baelish will tell us uh, in King's Landing, let's just let these guys duke it out. There's going to be warfare. In the quiet of this moment, it would be pretty suspicious if Ramsay died. But if there's a battle ongoing, right, totally, yeah, something. It's a lot easier happen. to make it look like an accident or yeah. a part of the battle to have him bite the bullet. Oh, it, hey, also, you guys, it is snowing. It is. How exciting was that? <laughs> yeah, winter is coming. Winter is guys. coming. Winter like, is on its for way. For real. Yeah. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at haciaworks.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette Recap's Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and... Peter Sagal. Do you want to skip back since you mentioned uh, Baelish? Baelish. We can yeah, go back let's to go to King's, King's Landing. Landing. The Night of the Flowers, the guy who's on trial. Yes, yes. Lancel, yes. Lancel. is the former lover Branded of forehead. Queen Cersei. Branded forehead, which is creepy and Manson family-like. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure it was intentional on their part. <laughs> uh, he's the guy who's sort of like the head enforcer of the sparrows. And so we see Baelish back in King's Landing. He's been gone for a while. So the uh, line that I love the most here was when... Lancel tries to say to Baelish, you know, your kind aren't welcome here anymore, basically, yeah. you flesh peddlers. The city has changed since you were here last. We flooded the gutters with wine, smashed the false idols, and set the godless on the run. Well done. I'm here on urgent business for the Queen Mother. Should I send word that I'll be delayed? Step carefully, Lord Baelish. You'll find there's little tolerance for flesh peddlers in the new King's Landing. We both peddle fantasies, Brother Lancel. Mine just happened to be entertaining. I wrote that down, too. I wrote, like, I take very little notes because I'm not very disciplined. But that's what I took. <laughs> <laughs> Good line. 
It is a really good line. Well, and it was fun because I think that was, you know, we talked about this recently, sort of what is Baelish actually up to and to what extent is Cersei still trusting him? And I think we got to see a lot of that play out in a really fun way. Like games within games. You know, he's got plots going on with Sansa. He's got plots going on with Bolton, who doesn't know about his plots with Sansa. And now he's got a plot going on with Cersei, who doesn't know about his plots with Sansa and with Bolton. So who knows what he's really up to and what he really wants. Games of Thrones. Yes. I think he wants to rule Winterfell with Sansa. Really? Yeah. I think he wants to be king. I think he's, I mean, this is not a man who would stop at, you know, some frozen north. Yeah, Yeah. that's probably He's not going to be satisfying being the governor of Wisconsin. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. (laughs) I was really interested in the scene, yay, Diana Rigg is back, the the Queen of Thorns. (laughs) You know. I love her. I love her so much. And as George R. R. Martin said when she was cast two, three seasons ago as, as the Queen of Thorns, it was like, yay, it's Diana Rigg. There's a lot of us who have very fond memories of her in that Avengers jumpsuit. Different Avengers, never mind. Um, <laughs> but she's great. And what was great about her scene with Cersei, remember we had seen some really fun scenes of her sort of treating with Tyrion and with Tywin. And they were all about really smart, knowledgeable people dealing with each other in a kind of cynical but straightforward way. It's like, you, we both know the rules of this game. Now let's play it like the grandmasters we are. And she seems to want to do that with Cersei. Like, you know, what's going on here? Yep. Let's talk like the power brokers we are. I didn't like your father, but I respected him. Right. She says mm-hmm. to Cersei. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's li- and the reason she respected him was because he could play the game, and we could work at this level. And Cersei just won't do that. She's pretending to write. She's pretending you're not writing anything, <laughs> and she's taking this different tone. And says, "Well, you know, my lady, of course, the alliance." And there's this moment where. Diana Rigg is looking at her and going, what are you doing? This is not how this is played. It's almost like it was a scene written by two writers, two different writers, mm. in which you know one is playing one game and approaching a certain kind of dialogue and interaction. The other one refuses to do it. It's breaking all the rules of improv. Cersei will not do a yes right. and no. scene. No. She won't. No. And that is what no. created some interesting <laughs> tension. That was a very good sort of inner monologue <laughs> Thank you. of Cersei. Thank you. Can you do it just for a moment? I'm minute? really good at anti-improv. Hey, yeah. I would like us to talk no. about this. Uh, can no. we just put the game? No. Okay. No. All right. No. 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 <laughs> I'm going to pretend to write. No. And, and I thought that was really sort of scary in the sense that you shared some of Diana Riggs' frustration because it's like, we can't fix this if you won't play the game. And the only thing that we can do in this world that we live in with people we can't deal with is kill them. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to go there, do you? I mean, to me, that was all in her eyes as she got up and left. She's like, if you want to do that, fine, but this doesn't end well. The reason that powerful, cynical people like me and your father deal with each other is to avoid people getting killed. It's better than the alternative. And you don't seem to know that. There was a, that was a very laden moment. And then we have the assurance that, oh, it's just going to be a hearing to humiliate yes. your grandson, but we're not actually going to keep him in jail. Don't worry. Oh, yes. And then we get to the trial with the, we were talking on the way in, Greta and I, about the, well, why is he still wearing this sort of rag and, you know, no shoes? The high sparrow. When uh, he's, you know, in court. And it's like, because it's as much a costume as the high septum right, dress exactly. was. Because now we know that he has no morals. He right. has political ambitions. Well, he, he is what everybody else said about him because we, like Cersei, probably thought that he was a reasonable guy who knew on which side his bread was buttered. By the way, as far as Cersei is concerned, he still does because Cersei is delighted oh, at yes. all of this. But yeah, it was also a brilliant casting by Jonathan Price and Jonathan Price, who has played villains very well in the past, playing it totally benevolent and Pope Francis-like up until this moment. 
And then when he arrests Marjorie at the end, you realize, oh, oh. no. The one thing I thought about, which was kind of fun, there was a little bit of a riff on aristocratic privilege in that both Loris, who's on trial, and Marjorie, who testifies. And they're both lying. We know they're lying. We, we saw them. All naked we in the, saw the buns. Yeah. We saw the buns. And there's this sense of privilege. It's like, I'm the queen. He's the heir to Highgarden. These are incredibly highborn aristocrats in a world in which is run by, you know, hereditary aristocracy. We can say what we want. And you can't stop us. Yeah, I mean, once you, you, I've you, said it, that's it's the end. True. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, and all the things I thought of, I thought of, of all people, Liberace, <laughs> who in Go the... On. No, I thought of Liberace, who in the 19... I think it was the 70s, successfully won a libel lawsuit against someone who had called him gay. Wow. Think about that. Mm-hmm. That Liberace, somebody referred to Liberace as being gay. Liberace sued and, and won. won. And that's when he famously said, I cried all the way to the bank. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, to me, it's like amazing that Loris, you know, even though he is as gay as the day is long, would stand there and say, of course it's ridiculous. I've never lain with a man. How dare you say that? And he had real indignation. You can't say this thing about me that's true. Yeah. Well, especially as they're taking her out and she keeps just saying, I am your queen. I am your queen. Right. I am your queen. And there's a real sense of privilege being turned on its head. And, it's, and for those who don't like privilege, I'm sure it was a very nice moment. I, of course as a white male, embrace privilege and am concerned. (laughs) Good, good. I also think that it was a step on that ladder, though, for Cersei to say, again, this is all going swimmingly for me so far. Yes. But she's a sinner of the highest order. Oh, yes. And they just stated that now that they're under religious law, no one is safe. No queen, no... Noble burn. And Cersei no doesn't born. seem to get that. She doesn't seem to and get it, that she's as much a sinner as everybody else. And I, and I think I can say with fellow people who have read book four, keep your eyes on that particular <laughs> plot line. I'll just say that. But Cersei is, it's interesting to see someone, and this is hard to do. It's very hard to write and perform people who are very, very smart. But it's in a way even harder to write people who are consistently making mistakes who are smart but are doing the wrong thing. And that's what Cersei is doing. That she, and you can see how she's stepping down this garden path toward foolishness and ruin and causing all of this trouble for petty reasons. And you believe that she'd do it. She hates Marjorie. She hates the Tyrells. And she is having her vengeance. And all those humiliations we talked about, it must have been episode two, I think, with the, oh, you know, well, I wish I had some wine, queen. but it's too early for us. <laughs> the Dowager Queen scene. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and remember, I, I'll say... There was a reference that Marjorie made to her own sexuality as being vibrant and young and in flower as opposed to dried up old Cersei. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, like I said, that was probably the thing that pushed Cersei over the edge and will have ramifications. Ramifications. But if we get a few more scenes of Lady Olena staring down Cersei. Oh, my God. I just love those acting moments between oh, the Oh, they're two great. Of them. Diana Riggs. I'll take so a few more fun. of those. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me her name is Lady Olena because saying the Queen of Thorns was just getting cumbersome. <laughs> When Cersei says the bit about what can a queen mother do and tilts her head ever yes. so slightly, oh. it was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. We need to go to Dorne. We can, we can Dorne? dispatch Dorne pretty quickly. Want to dispatch Dorne pretty quickly? Okay, let's power through Dorne. It was, it, was was a, it was a big sword fight. Yeah. It was a fine sword fight. Uh, Did it? you like it? It was okay. <laughs> I thought it was terrible. A terrible sword fight. Because, yeah. well, first of all, there aren't enough swords. There's a lot of awkward spears and whips being used in the scene. But can we just talk for a second about how... 
I'm for some reason completely willing to accept that there are dragons, that there are shadow creatures that kill people, but the fact that they all happen to be at the garden at exactly the same moment. A little bit of a coincidence. It felt lazy that they did it in broad daylight and all sort of tromped around. It was almost like Monty Python, as we were talking about last time. It was a little bit. Hello. It was a little, yeah. Oh, we're all here. Okay, now we're all here in the garden together. We'll fight. Hilarious thing, though. There was that scene going in where they're sort of marching across the Dornish Waste, getting to the water gardens, and Bronn is singing. Yes. <laughs> the Dornishman's wife was as fair as the sun, and her kisses were warmer than spring. But the Dornishman's blade, it was made of black steel, and its kiss was a terrible thing. The Dornishman's Bronn, the actor playing Bronn, is a singer. <laughs> he used to be part of this duo. You can find them oh, on YouTube yes. singing like 60s doo-wop hits. And it is <laughs> hilarious. And I just love the fact that he's singing and he is belting it. <laughs> and, he, and, you're, and you're probably, if you were like me, you're going, hey, he's not bad. <laughs> anyway, but yes, the sword fight was kind of pointless and silly. The coincidence was hard to buy that they both get there at the same time. And their like poor disguises, yes. their poor disguises were just so ridiculous too. It's yeah. like, hey, we found these random sheets. We're going to Well, they looked they were guardsmen. And when the other guardsmen showed up, it was like, I can't tell the good guys and the bad guys. The bad guys, are there anybody good guys? I mean, basically it was a scene they could have cut to the end and had them all captured yeah. with yeah. the guy that in the wheelchair going, guy, okay uh, Doran Martell looking at them and going, Come on. And you wouldn't have lost anything. Yeah. But I guess you had to have a sword fight because you weren't going to have any nudity. I did love the scene <laughs> ahead of time when Braun and Jamie are talking and Braun asks Jamie if he has a plan. And he says, well, I think I'll just improvise. And Braun was like, yeah, pretty sure that's why you have that gold hand. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And of course, they end up arrested. You know, yes. here we are. Speaking of improvisation. Yes. And I will hit you with my sword. <laughs> yes. And now I will hit you back. <laughs> yes. And oh, come on. So back, let's go. I love the imagining the flying, flying across the narrow sea in the computerized credit sequence. And now we're down back in, uh, where are we? We're somewhere in Essos, near Marine, but not quite at Marine. Right. Tromping along, just following the coastline. Essos. We have no boat. Essos. Somewhere in Essos. And you had said in an earlier note, oh, it was really a hackneyed episode. Were you referring to the scene with Tyrion and Jorah? No, I was just the whole fight scene, broad daylight, trompsing through the gardens. And well, Lauren was what I was just going, come let, on. Guys. Let's talk about Jorah and his little human moment, which he hasn't had a lot of late. Finding out his father was yeah. dead. And you know how mm. I feel about backstory. <laughs> but I actually like this because this isn't backstory. This is the fact. In fact, it's almost as if in the books, I think nobody ever actually explicitly mentions, oh, this one character we've been watching in the North, that's the father of this other character we've been watching this whole mm-hmm. other place. And in the TV show, I like the fact that they finally address that, that that was his father. And his father went, if I remember the backstory correctly, he went to the wall out of shame when his own son and heir was arrested and banished for slaving. He sold some poachers to a slaver, which is how this all started. And so they have a problem, a rejection of father-son problem. Now he knows the father is dead. Now he knows, as we know, that he's going to die because he's got the The stone arm happening. So it was a moment for, uh, for Jorah, and Ian Glenn played it well. He did. Very I thought he subtly. did play it well. And I thought that Tyrion finally realized that if he wants to crack this guy open, he ought to, instead of just sort of grilling him about questions about where they're going, he realized he had sort of something yeah. in that brilliant way that Tyrion always knows sort of – like it takes him a minute, but then he always finds the button to press right. on everybody. Turns out the button was both of these men, Tyrion and Jorah, had really disappointed their fathers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and did very, very different things about it. 
So that's a genuine moment of sort of, what's the word, connection between them, which, you know, in, in, in the same way that I think we're being set up for things to come in other storylines, the fact that Jorah and Tyrion are now becoming friends, have been through a lot together, are caring for each other in a way, is going to pay off in ways terrible and great coming up. That's a guess. So, yeah, and they end up arrested. Or I guess arrested by as the world's, captive. By the world's dumbest slavers. Oh, there my God. There was some comedy. <laughs> All right. We'll keep him till we can find a cock merchant. <laughs> Best scene. Best scene. I, and Peter Dinklage, I thought this was fun because we all know Peter Dinklage, he can talk his way out of anything. Tyrion, rather. I don't know if Peter Dinklage can talk his way out of anything. <laughs> but Tyrion can. And he's always usually so calm about it. We remember the scene, for example, I guess it was season one, with the storm crows, the, the hill tribes come down, and he's totally cool. And he's yeah, like, he usually keeps it cool. And he realizes that he is literally about to get his throat cut. It's not going to be one of those moments where they hold the knife to your throat and we have a conversation. Right. He's going to cut his throat, which is why he's like, no, wait, wait I, I, yeah. <laughs> it was true to the moment, I thought. And he basically... Suckers them into taking them exactly where they were trying to go yes, anyway. I yep. know. It's yeah, another perfect. waste of a good kidnapping. It was, <laughs> Tyrion's a smart fellow. I also really like the moment where Jorah said, I defeated a Dothraki rider in single combat. And there was that long pause, and the big tough slaver's like, you're lying. <laughs> I killed a Dothraki blood rider in single combat. Liar. It's no lie. His name was Quoso. He was blood rider to Carl Drogo. Take me to Slaver's Bay, put a sword in my hand, I'll prove my worth. No way you could have made up a name. (laughs) Not in Game of Thrones, where it's basically just take one syllable from one name, (laughs) add a syllable from another name, and you have a Game of Thrones name. Is that generator exist on the internet It yet? should. Oh, man. Where you can punch in your name and yes. it spits out your Game of Thrones name? It would, It yeah. must. Quick, nerds, make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> make it so. Still to come on Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel, we will hear from you. That and more when Nerdette Recaps returns. With the Dornishman's blade, it was made of black steel, and its kiss was a terrible thing. The Dornishman's wife would sing as she bathed in a voice that was sweet as All a All right, peach. that's enough. I'm coming to the best part. It's right to blend in. You're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita with Greta Johnson and Peter Sagal. We love hearing from all of you, and you've had a lot to say lately. So let's jump in with a voicemail that was left for us. I really, really enjoy the recaps. I think you guys cover a lot more than um, a lot of other uh, recaps do. I just, I love that there's like a different perspective because you guys have different age ranges, and so there are different um, references and whatnot in there. And I want you guys to know that you should keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. And I wish you would do other recaps to other shows. Like, especially if you did, like, Wolf and Black, that would be awesome. My name is Adrian, and I'm from near D.C. All I know about Orphan Black. Well, first of all, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. It's <laughs> nice of you to take the time and call up and say that you like it. It's nice to hear. Yes. The only thing I know about Orphan Black is that the actress uh, had oh a really God. nice cameo on Parks and Rec. That's all I know. I've never watched it. <laughs> oh, I understand man. it's excellent. You should watch it. I think you'd like it. In no way does my failure to watch TV show X indicate that I am not interested in TV show X. I just don't manage my time well. That's I like this one because they called uh, you old, Peter. I thought that was nice. <laughs> oh, is that what happened? 
Maybe they called you old. She didn't say. That's true. And since my pop culture references are usually actually just as dated just as, as Peter's. Dated as it's true. <laughs> you may be the, you know, you're the oldest soul. I was actually thinking, yeah, age range. I'm, I'm, age range, I'm, I represent 30 to 60. Yes. That's my mm-hmm. age range. Yes, of course. Uh, I'll do. I'll, I'll represent sixty plus. I'm fine with that. I'll take <laughs> it's true. it. That's true. So we did. All we also got a message from someone who asked us to recap Game of Thrones from the beginning. Right? Yeah. They speaking said of time, they want us to Whoa. go back to season one and do it for the, all the rest that of was, the seasons. That was so. And I got a little you, you tired guys, of you guys, about you it. You guys, you guys are like both going, "Oh my god, that's crazy! Oh my god!" And Look I'm sitting here going. Can we? <laughs> no. 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 Well, you have to do it in the Cersei voice. No. 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 I actually want, Greta did this off mic. Greta, can we hear you sing like a dragon? No, that happened. No, no, that was it. That was <laughs> awesome. It. That's all it was. Because we were like, we were like, we were talking off mic. We were like, well, why, why would, I didn't remember hearing any dragon singing. Why would Jorah be so impressed? And then Greta started singing like a dragon and we were like, yes, we shall follow you. You are our Daenerys. It was great. Okay. So this next voicemail I think is my favorite yet. Hey guys, this is Kiki Gibb. I am about mile 400 on the Appalachian Trail, and I wanted to let you know that I am one of those weirdos that is totally using your podcast to spoil all the episodes because I can't watch it at all on the trail. Uh, I love it. I've read the book, so I'm not worried about being spoiled too much, and I love hearing your recap and hearing what happened. It's like seeing all the full frontal nudity in my head, only described to me by three different people. I love it. Thanks, guys. Bye. I love her enthusiasm. It's so good. I'm like... I'm just trying to imagine, you know, it's like the wild two, you know, walk, you know, walking the Appalachian Trail, but listening to recap podcasts. Exactly, it's so good. Somebody is either she's either doing this terribly, terribly right or terribly, terribly wrong. It. She sounds really happy. Yes, I'm just trying to imagine if like Thoreau had recaps when he was writing Walden. You know, I, I went into the woods to see if I could live simply. By sitting around and listening to three strangers recap a television show. <laughs> I think we're getting in the way of your wilderness experience is what I'm saying. It reminds me of every that. Verizon commercial that shows a family having togetherness time out camping. And then they all settle in and they all have iPads. I know. It's that weird thing of they're trying to make you feel like an iPad is a way to bring the family together. It's like, look at the stars, not the app. You guys, anyway, I'm sure she's her still admiring the stars. Yes. If this is her one like goofy All little right. connection to the world, she's out there. I think it's lonely. the three she's of us should just be day. kind of honored. It's not, frankly, send us I'm a fern. honored. I'm all right. I'm honored. I'm, I'm just, honored. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so for old. being begrudgingly honored, old lady <laughs> yeah. Bobita. And the next voicemails. Yeah. So I speaking love... speaking of hearing from people, right? Oh God. <laughs> we are now aware. Thank you, everyone. That Stannis said fewer. Really, I hadn't heard that. Oh my god! <laughs> my favorite moment of hearing about Stannis saying fewer was when I think it was on Thursday. My mother finally watched episode five, and we were chatting on the phone. And she hadn't listened to the recap podcast yet. And she said, "I bet I know what your favorite moment was." And I was like, "Yeah, what was that, mom?" And there's this pause, and she just goes, "Fewer." <laughs> I was like, "Well, god damn it, mother." <laughs> It it's would very have been upsetting. If I we had all would have, we all would have spent half of last week's podcast talking about Stan's absolutely and his grammar nerdery. Yeah, good and bad because I think it's like a joke that really cracked everybody up on the set. Because it turns out somebody 
there are more obsessive people than us, amazingly, sent in a clip where he did that right before the Battle of Blackwater Bay in season yes, two. Yes, yes. And, and I'm guessing that, they, I mean, I'm just guessing now. I don't know knowledge, but they were on the set and they were doing the scene with the, with the, you know, the Night's Watch guys. And one guy says, less enemies for us to fight. Yep. And, and somebody must have pointed out, you know, you know Stannis is not going to stand for that. <laughs> and everybody laughed and said, yeah, point the camera at him. We'll do that bit. And <laughs> it, so it was almost an in-joke. But it was, very, it was very funny. And I wish we had heard it and didn't have to ask you nerds to. Although I'm glad for the satisfaction that the nerd population had in oh, calling us, tweeting us. They all came through. Thank you. I actually had Colleen count how many tweets we got. How many? It. And we got 16, which was like, God, it felt like thousands. It really it felt, like, it felt like it felt a like an lot. overwhelming. It felt like a whole lot. But we did get enough ner- voicemails about it that yeah. we made a montage. Go ahead. You want to listen to it? <laughs> uh, oh, nothing I'd rather do. <laughs> I cannot believe that the Nerdette podcast, you did not pick up on Stannis the Grammarian. In that scene that uh, Peter was questioning, there was a, a man of the Night Watch who said, we have less men. And Stannis said, being a grammar nerd, I was waiting for you to mention that and you didn't. And then I'm sitting here and you're asking what I'm saying and I'm yelling out the window fewer. And everyone around me is looking kind of silly at me, but you know, whatever, it's New York. So, fewer. Because he's correcting the grammar of the speaker. Actually, the second time that he's corrected grammar in the show, I think in the second season, or whenever it is when we kind of first meet him, he does it as well. Um, and it actually makes him one of my favorite characters just for that fact alone. So I thought you guys would want to know that. So, yeah, thanks to all of you who let us know. It is always really fun to hear from you, even if you're just yelling fewer. (laughs) My favorite thing about Twitter is that when a nerd answers the question right, I can give them a gold star by hitting the favorite button. Nerds deep memories of getting gold stars in elementary school. Yeah, that is really good. (laughs) We also got a voicemail that uh, caught us in an error that I I didn't know I had made. Hey, Nerdette and Peter Sagal. My name is Josh. I'm calling from Oakland, California. I want to say thanks for the podcast. It's fantastic. been enjoying it every day for this past week. Um, just a little bone to pick, though, with Peter Sagal, the king of the nerds of Game of Thrones. He mentioned something on the recap of episode five that this was Miranda's first time being seen in the show. And he should know as the king of the nerds that Miranda's been lurking around since season three. And she actually had that one devilishly fun seeing what they hunt down a poor girl, runaway girl with the dogs and arrows. And I think at one point, Miranda even says, she's pretty. Let me put one in her face. Uh, yeah, she's the perfect match for Ramsey and fits right in with the Bolton. Anyways, you guys have a good day. Thanks a lot. Well, thank keep, you. Keep and... up the good work. Bye. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm talking now. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, and you are right, of course. In fact, somebody else, maybe you, tweeted at me earlier in the week. So I, and correcting the error, that I was wrong when I said that Miranda has never been seen before. The actress has never been seen before. Um, so I went back and thanks to the Miracle of YouTube, looked at all of Miranda's scenes and a couple of interesting things. First of all, if I'm not mistaken, you first meet her in that extremely creepy scene where they castrate Theon. But first, the two women get sent in, immediately take off their clothes, do a total, oh, we like a porn scene happening. We're just so intri- We've heard so much about you. And they, their clothes fall off and they straddle him and all kinds of sexy business happens before. Of course. Sexy business. Ramsey blows his horn and then (laughs) does him good. And it's interesting. And then, of course, you are correct, uh, again, that Miranda is the woman who was with Ramsey when they're chasing down that other woman. And the prior scene is Miranda. Actually, I had totally forgotten about this sequence, which I thought I remembered very well, in which Osha, 
that is, mm. Theon's sister tries to rescue him, their approach to the castle is intercut with a sex scene with Ramsay having slightly kinky but seemingly affectionate relations with, of course, Miranda. By the way, Miranda, when I talked about her having to do her big dramatic scene totally naked, she has spent literally half her screen time on the show, (laughs) totally starkers. So she was used to it. So it's still pretty relevant. still pretty relevant. Two things that I thought of. First of all, that why didn't I recognize her? Why didn't, when this actress did this very Mm. intense scene, didn't I recognize her? And I think that, and this goes to my mindset, maybe it's shared by other people, if an actress, especially an actress, but not in Game of Thrones entirely an actress, shows up and are immediately nude, I put them in a different category. Like, that is a naked person. Because you haven't looked at her face. <laughs> That's what it is. It's a little bit. He's there's there's some this, of that. He's trying to make this really serious point, but we're both thinking it, and thank God, Greta. Thank you. Well, there's some of that. Up here, Peter. Up here, yeah. My eyes are up. <laughs> but there's also, there's this general sense that if an actress especially is brought into the show to do sexual stuff right away, total nudity, and she is doing free, full frontal nudity for almost her entire first scene, then that is not a person you need to pay attention to. That is somebody It's like who, the red shirt on Star Trek. A little bit, in a weird <laughs> way. But this is somebody who is being used by the story, is not in the story, and therefore you don't have to think about her as a real person, which is something I wonder. And then, of course, we find out that she is a real person, a character. She's an actress. I looked her up. She's got a professional history. She's been in theater, been in film. But because she shows up and does, like, sex naked stuff... Naked sex stuff, I'm like, I don't care. You're not a real person. Well, it's like no, you said right. about totally Sansa. You said, you know, there's a line in this show. We, we don't, don't want to see, see her naked. naked. It would be extremely disturbing. And in a show which doesn't mind disturbing people, they're not going to go that far. That We're only going to show you people who are naked who don't matter, which is weird. Yeah. And I fell into that trap. And it's always women because those women are objects in the show. Is there have been some sexist. naked men, uh, you know, especially with scenes around. But Lawrence they don't matter. And, uh, they don't matter either. Yeah. Although it turns yeah. out they Oliver did. They did today. They did yeah. today. The other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, in believe it or not, in the books, Ramsay is worse than he is in the TV show. This I was looking up last night yeah. and it's totally true and terrifying. He is basically a serial killer. He is the worst human being you've ever heard of. He murders people without even thinking about it and tortures them to death. And we've seen there's no end to his horrors, as we've seen. They seem to have a purpose, though. But the writers did an interesting thing. They gave him a relationship. They gave him someone who genuinely loves him and who he seems to have affection for. They humanized him with Miranda by taking her and making her not just a naked tool of his plans, but into somebody he has a relationship with, no matter how creepy that is. I feel like humanized is still a little too strong of well, a term, but I, I see what you're saying. I'm not I, think you're right. I mean, they pushed <laughs> like it's him. cute that they kind of have each other in yeah. this weird, and, and sick it's way. It's cute. It, it's it, kind of it, cute. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's slightly reminding of those occasionally horrible married pairs of serial killers. But it's also like, no, that Ramsey actually has human feelings. Somebody has human feelings for Ramsey. And he is more of a human being than you might otherwise think. And I think that's an interesting choice on the uh, showrunner's part. And I'm not quite sure how it will play out. Maybe it will mean when, as we were talking about earlier, when Ramsey finally gets it, he might even feel a little sad. Oh, God. No? I can't imagine no, I'm really that. excited for yeah. that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, you know, let us know what you think, too. We're really curious. Like, I would love to hear your predictions if you think Theon's going to kill him, if you think Sansa's going to kill him, how you think that all is going to play out. 
If he survives past season five, I'm going to be really disappointed, frankly. Really? Yeah, totally. It, but don't you need like a really, really great villain? Yeah, I mean, but a there really will be threatening, another horrible great, person. threatening, horrible person. You know, that's the thing about Game of Thrones is like there's no, you know, like, yes, this guy is pretty much the worst. But like another bad one will come up. I'm not concerned about the yeah. shortage of like morally depraved humans. As well, you Game should not Thrones, be. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, call us. Let us know. 312-948-4687. You can find us online at wbez.org slash nerdatrecaps. We're on Twitter as at nerdatpodcast. He's at Peter Sagel. I always am. The show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault, Colleen Pellissier, and Brad Helm. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. You can find links to all of the things, including the sign-up thingy for our weekly email newsletter at nerdatpodcast.com. You can listen to us wherever you are, because you already are, but we would like it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. We share links to things we like on Facebook, which you can see if you like us there. And as we said, we're on Twitter at Nerd Podcasts. We'd like to discuss all of the things with you. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Throw some stars and write a review if you are feeling generous. And speaking of generosity, Peter, thank yeah. you for taking the time. Oh, you know... It's my pleasure. <laughs> mom, do you want to come say hi? Greta's mom is here. Hi. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, great. Later on, we'll talk about dicks with Greta's mom. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.